Jeeping's by Hillsong. Correct. How's that? Amazing. It's like a whole new experience, isn't it? I've played it a few times. It's like brilliant every time. Tom Watson says the best back nine in golf. I didn't snap up it onto the railway line on the first, so that was a win. Did you shove it into the right? Really? No, I nearly hit it on the that, railway line. Because it, <laughs> it was saved by a mound. There is some that tee shot's unbelievable, isn't it? Be like right outside the clubhouse. It's all a bit too close, isn't it? Yeah. Everything's a bit too perfect. Yeah. That bump is really irritating. It's sort of 220 waiting for Exactly. It's great. I mean, it was so firm. It was in great nick. It was just, it was sort of like, there's one ten and there quite a few short winter tees. Um, but the back nine was like absolutely epic, bone dry, playing fast and all sorts. It was really good. Yeah. So I got a lot of front nine there, but I guess that's probably just the contrary in, in me. It was nice to play on greens that you could actually roll upon. Yeah, I had a very similar experience at Team Day Pavement at Green. Yeah, I haven't been there since they ripped all the golf on. Well, I haven't been there since uh, 20 years ago. Oh, exactly. It's a pretty special place, isn't it? I was chatting to the uh, secretary. And, uh, Is that how you played? I sort of, yeah. The weather forecast in the morning was amazing. And um, no, I played with, no, I didn't. I played with um, Mark, Mark Townsend. Off of Golf Monthly. Yeah. Uh, and I played with Dave McCarthy, um, industry legend Dave McCarthy. Right. Many years of true temper. Yeah. World's nicest man. Yeah. Best connected man in golf, Dave McCarthy. Who is a member? Really? Uh, and I played with Dan. Uh, and I'd sort of woke up in the morning, it was like beautiful weather, and I'd already, it was one of those things where I'd already decided I'd be inquiring about country membership because I'm about to tell you, that is exactly how it transpired. It was really expensive, but they are going to apparently put that down. How much was it? 800 quid. Country membership? Oh, yeah, somebody, I don't quote me on that, but it's something like that, yeah. How much is sport membership? Well, that's what the guy was saying, it's too close. Um, see. But I think they would capture an awful lot of people like me. It's only 50 minutes away, but yeah. Uh, basically, the links course in. Um, Yorkshire, if you discount Ganton. In Cleveland, just Cleveland, not Ganton. It's not in Yorkshire, is it? No, the Yorkshire answer there a few years ago. I think that's because it's in Yorkshire Union, but it's matching in the county of Yorkshire. So, back in the box. Anyway, I was trying to think about things to say about my golf in relation to equipment, and I think I've, I've come up with three. Okay. Ready for this? Yep. Excited. What the hell are we all doing? I mean, so it's in putters when half the time greens think about nine. What do you mean? Like the idea of an insert, it's like an American thing, isn't it? When you're playing on super fast screens, if you want to be able to like control the pace better, and then you get an on a green like I was playing on, which were beautiful surfaces, but because it's near the sea and it's really all the time, they're never going to get them that fast. Why do you want an insert? You want an insert, do you? You want the opposite. What kind do you have? Is it not about the roll? A lot of inserts are quite quick compared to millpers. So this is the debate I was looking to have because in my head, an insert is like something soft and a bit like chewing gum. No, yeah. I would disagree. If you go, so last time I actually went to California to test the equipment out there. You know, if I say something, you think, what the hell is going on? That's the bit where you go, well, as the expert. I'm trying to, but you won't shut up. <laughs> the mill foot is literally the only thing you can stop on a quick green. Right. Is that right? Yeah. So I have to get some backspins. No, you don't want backspin. Backspin's bad news. You just when you put it. the smash mats in. Yeah. Right. But I mean... The main thing you're going to want on slower greens is a bit more loft. It's going to pick the ball up and get it rolling quicker. I think my foot's up a lot of loft from when you like to throw it up and then whack it off the green. That's the amount of times you've kicked it over the years. So you haven't de-lofted it by whacking it against the ball. Yeah, really check that. Uh, so that was one thing. 
my driver, yeah, I should just sort of the, I've got two points for it's the same point. Go on. So my driver shafts like way too heavy for me. Yeah. Uh, but when you get somewhere like that, where there's like basically no roof at this time of year, yeah, and certainly no bushes or water or trees, then you just feel like you can like whack it and it's as hard as you can. It's like a rain shot every time. And even if you do get one that's like comes off low and left or whatever, it doesn't matter because you're on the next fairway. See, I've gone up to a heavier driver shaft, 15 grams more, and I'm hitting it way better because I can just smack it. Yes. So that, yes, exactly. So I think there's, there's massively something in it to get too much shaft that you can then just stand there and twat it. I don't think that works there in summer, does it? Particularly if you're playing a tight heathland sort of course or a tree line, well, you have to just poke it round. I was trying to think about it in the context of our American golf, where obviously you're looking for something that's the opposite, because yeah. you're trying to finesse it between trees, you want more loft because you want more carry. Yeah. But my driver that just doesn't work for me at all was working brilliantly. I disagree though on the hit the that no. I just think if you've got a really heavy shaft, you've got to hit it all the time, haven't you? Maybe. So I, I didn't hit it any I hit that straighter because yeah. I wasn't like backing off it or whatever. I was yeah, just yeah. giving it full beans off. To hit it as hard as you want, because even if you miss one, the penalty is like not anywhere from like as severe as a lost ball or sawgrass whatever. Well, I think even with a lighter shaft, my bad shot's worse. Um, maybe you need a, a three wood fairway finder and a heavy driver that you can just hit it as hard as you can all the time. Yeah, it was so good though. Like it was, yeah, honestly, it's like it's like a proper championship golf course. Yeah. So normally when you go to these sort of offbeat links courses. You come back and it's kind of like a wistful thing because they're a bit quirky, like, mm-hmm. like going to Seacroft or Surf or those kind of places. We need to get some southern references, don't we? Hayley Island, anywhere we call them. <laughs> but that's not like that at all. It's big and flat and it's sort of like Muirfield there. It's just too many holes. But that is an unbelievable quirk of it, but I'm going to talk about that in the Frontal Club House podcast. Fine. Uh, we're here to talk about balls. Golf balls. Thanks for specifying. And specifically, <laughs> Say named balls. Actually, even more specifically, we're going to talk about their tour responsible. Correct. Uh, and the kind of the big thing that we're trying to get, get into is innovation, golf ball technology. And we think a lot of that is to do with the colour and personalisation spinning off of that. Fifty percent of Tillman's golf balls now are like non-white, so patterned. That's that's mad, that isn't it? Yeah, I can't believe it. I, yeah, I find that hard to believe as well. That's like fifty percent of sales, not fifty percent of golf balls they produce like 50 percent of balls people buy from tailor-made when you say, are not plain white when you say non-white are you a bit like a sort of farrow ball or like a dulux it's not cream no like patterned or like fully a different color no like pigs no you need to know there's no no to this this is a fact please clarify what you mean by non-white the whole golf ball isn't white so it might be a white ball with a pattern on it Right, so that is so that is not a golf ball, not like that's a contradiction terms. There's a difference between a golf ball that's yellow and it's just yellow and a golf yeah, ball but it's a mixture of things. Lines on it. So both patterned or no. coloured. Yeah. So I mean, the a poll of people in this office who all play golf. Mm-hmm. There's one person who uses a non-white golf ball. Dan. Yeah. I love using a picks. Does Dan use a picks? Oh, like, goodness you know, they're, they're like football ones. Ricky like Fowler's ball. The triangles on football. Yeah. It's not football. It's sort of like football. Anyway, so that is massive, isn't it? Like, seems to be. I was. I've written in my notes. Is is it is it the biggest change from small ball to big ball? Which you won't remember, will you? <laughs> Well, yeah, obviously, but haven't experienced it. Well, I 
I haven't actually looked that up. I do. If you want to Google it, you can test me because I'm pretty sure I know it roughly. To my uncle Hugh. These are always great stories. My uncle Hugh um, played in the Walker Cup in. 1971, 1973, and 1975, somewhere. And the big ball came into use, was made legal uh, in the States, earlier than it was here. Um, the big ball has obviously got advantages. Um, it's worse in the wind, but it was like easier to control, easier to fly, all the rest of it. Uh, when he played in the Walker Cup in the States, which I presume he played in two here and one there, so I'm going to say it was 1973. You had the choice of whether you're going to play the big ball or the small ball. So I'm saying that it probably was about 1977 when it was just big ball only. Yeah. 1974, the RNA took a significant step towards uniformity when they made the larger ball mandatory in the Open Championship. However, it was not until 1990 the RNA officially outlawed the smaller golf balls. It's 1990. Yes. Well. Wow. Oh, he thing. thought he thought he'd won. He thought he'd won. He looked so excited at the beginning. <laughs> so yeah, but has there been bigger sort of step change in golf ball technology between now and then? Do you not think like when the urethane covered balls came out, Tiger started playing the super spinning ball? That's what I'm asking you. That's what I think. I've got loads of golf ball facts to test you on, yeah. Okay, so we'll come back to that. I grew up with ballatas. But what back in the day? What was the first golf ball made of? Uh, well, gutteries, featheries, feathers. Incorrect. There was a golf ball before that. Leather. We're talking 1400s. Leather. Leather. No. Dog poo, cow poo, <laughs> They were wood. Is that like... The first ball was made of wood, mainly beach. So few materials back in the day. Things were either wood or metal, or stone. <laughs> My favourite is 1486 when we moved to, quote, hairy golf balls. A hand-sewn round leather ball filled with cow's hair or straw. What are you going to be with that? So what are you going to be now? 1486. Then we get to the feathery. When, what is that? 1618. Right. Well, good how, many, how many Sorry. How many feathers were in a golf ball? Well, a feathery? Should you not start with whose feathers were they? Oh, yeah. Okay. Whose feathers were they? Ducks. No. Chickens. No. Goose. Seabirds. Goose. Correct. Goose. How many goose feathers in a feathery golf ball? 40. There's a whole thing made of feather. No. Just the inside. What's the outside? Leather. Leather. Um, I don't reckon that many. Goose feathers are pretty big. Over. Ten. A full bucket full. How is that even possible? <laughs> As if that's like a quantifiable number. Could only produce four golf balls a day. It's not very good for the mass market, is it? No, I could lose And a player, how many rounds do you think you could get out of a feathery? Ooh, one, two. Two, correct. This was, I thought this was really interesting. So Alan Robertson was yeah. the first like golf professional champion, making these. Correct. And old Tom Morris used to work under him. They both used to make golf balls. But did you know that he sacked Tom Morris because he started playing with the new ball, a gutty, and he didn't, Robertson didn't want the feathery to go out of fashion because he was making so much money from making them. Did Robertson, presumably then old Tom Morris then got Robertson's job because he became the keeper of the greens and Andrews. Well, so he sacked old Tom Morris and old Tom Morris went on to Presswick. Okay, and that's where the open then the first open championship was there. Probably wasn't after Robertson had left. Maybe, or maybe Robertson was like the head pro and Austin was the greenkeeper. So no, I've read the book and watched the film. Okay, next was the gutty. What was that made from? Guts, intestines. (laughs) Yeah, cows intestines. 
the dried sap of the sapodilla tree. Why is it called fucking cutting there? Why is it not called a sappy? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, people found out that once they'd used this ball for a while and it scuffed up, it flew better. And that's how dimples became a thing. Well, that is worth knowing, isn't it? Well, mm. yeah. So, yeah, there you go. So, so a box of brand new sappies. Not it's very good. Not very good. So, people started hand hammering right. them afterwards to create dimples. So, when you get into barter and serving and that kind of stuff? Uh well, first rubber car golf ball, eighteen ninety eight. That still that still had a gutter cover. Didn't have the first painting for proper dimples until eighteen ninety nine. That's gonna be nice a lot earlier than I was. Uh, I thought they were playing with like some smooth form ball again. Actually, yeah, but then people like um, Ted Ray and Barnett, they were using proper golf ball, weren't they? Don't You're asking the wrong people. Jerseyman, no great game ever played. Francis Wiener, country club. There's a film about it, it's a private counting. So does that include the golf ball quiz? Yes, I'm not sure anyone was really a winner there. No, and I feel like I could go on for hours about the history of the golf ball. But I think it's safe to say that the change from basically all white golf balls to different colour golf balls, golf balls with stuck pre printed on them, is a big shift from what we've seen, certainly the whole time I've been playing golf. So we're going to hear from Mike Fox, who is a golf ball designer at Telemade, uh, specifically about the tour response. Correct. Let's do it. So first up, could you just talk through the new technology and the Stripe this year? So uh, we launched Tour Response Stripe last year, and from a company that was already leading in visual technology, it was the hottest visual tech product we'd ever launched. Um, we had immediate backward demands, 10 times what, what we had planned for. It was one of those products that when it hit, it was like nothing we had seen before. And it really was one of those things that it was very intuitive for a golfer. It was a new putting alignment technology that immediately understood, hey, I understand what this product does. And which is great because it's exactly what it was designed to do. Torresponse Stripe was designed off the inspiration of our PIX product in clear path alignment, but with the concept of turning it up to 11 if there's a Spinal Tap fan out there or putting it on steroids. We wanted to create the most intuitive, easy to align product we possibly could think of, and that's really where Stripe came from. So it's the only 360 degree uh, full alignment system. So it's a, uh, it requires a proprietary machine that allows us to print all the way around the golf ball. So when you line get a 22 millimeter band that you get to work with as well as when you putt you get to see that immediate feedback on it's really unlike anything else out there and it's something that we've spent hundreds of hours testing to ensure that this truly is a better alignment system for anyone that's trying to make more putts well i think this is like i feel like i've missed a meeting like how when did this suddenly become a thing these came out last year for the first time but and they were so popular so they're like expanding the range and bringing out extra colorways Tour Response Stripe came out for the first time last year, that's what you're saying. Tour Response and Tour Response Stripe. Yeah, but I'm saying I don't understand where, where this has all of a sudden come from, where no golf balls are white anymore. Like, I haven't even noticed that, but it's happening by self. Really. <laughs> I feel like it's just becoming more and more common. Like, people want more alignment features. Brands have noticed everyone's drawing their line, different lines on golf balls. Yeah. So why would they not just make that easier by actually printing something on the golf ball for you? Yeah, but those seems to be the case for ageing. You can draw lines on the golf balls for ageing. Why is it all of a sudden now something they've thought, oh, hang on, we can pre-print that? 
I think it's very complicated to print it. Then, so Taylor spent quite a few years working on it so they could print the pig's golf balls. And at that point, it was costing them over a million pounds a unit to print onto the golf balls. And obviously, you can only do a certain amount on one machine. And I also think the tech to be able to print 360 all the way around the golf ball and keep the shape is something that they spent ages developing. What do you need for that? This ridiculous printing machine. Is it, could it be described as a supercomputer? No, but they probably designed the ball on a supercomputer. Uh, so it's basically technology, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So it's advancements in manufacturing technology has enabled them to do something they've all been doing by hand for years. And I also think just more research and more coaching and people realising how bad people are aiming what they're putting. Yeah, because there's more knowledge of this. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, there's more universal take up in lines and all the rest of it. So Mike, presumably, can explain to us about exactly how that manufacturing process works. Yeah, he touched a lot on how long it took to develop, things like that, how long they've been working on it, all the difficulties between print, ink, like if because if you're chemically changing the colour of a golf ball inside like the urethane layer, that's changing the whole chemical structure. So it's actually a different golf ball. Whereas the printing process they use for this is ink instead, so it's slightly different. Right. Sort of think I understand that. Can we hear what he says about it? Yes. How hard was it to actually get the process to be able to print that like fully three sixty around the ball? Um it was one of the hardest programs I've been a part of. Um, so our R&D and development teams and our advanced development teams, though, let's put it a different way. Um, typically the way golf balls have been made is our R&D and development teams will research materials and work with tour players and do aerodynamic flight testing and material constructions. And it's as complicated and as challenging as anything you work on. And then the design teams will make the boxes and hey, we'll meet you at the end, uh, which has its own challenges, you know, with coatings and embossings and all sorts of different recycled materials. So, I mean, there's its own work there. I don't want to diminish it, but it's not, it wasn't as much of a collaborative process. Visual technology has really changed that entire game. So Stripe is the first project um, that's involved our advanced development team. So our research group, um, our advanced development R&D groups um, and our full R&D teams to not just test, but also prove out what's going to be the most effective type of alignment system. Beyond that, the machine to produce something like this doesn't exist anywhere. So you're talking about figuring out what you want to create and then backing up on how you want to mass produce it. I mean, we'll sell well over a million dozen stripes. You're talking about 12 million golf balls. So you're talking about tens of thousands of golf balls a day and it peaks up to a hundred thousand golf balls a day is what we're working towards so you think about taking a concept like that and then making literally tens and hundreds and millions of them um and making it perfect every time and making it durable every time um and making it exactly the width and all the way wrapped around um really was quite the undertaking. Honestly, I, I can't be more impressed with the, the work the team's done to not just create a concept that works, we also create a machine that can reproduce that concept. Um, and honestly, it's unlike anything out there. Um, these things aren't just off the shelf. They require almost a year's worth of building and then almost uh, just as much time worth of concepting and architecture planning. So the advanced development for golf ball is different than it's ever been before. It's truly this collaboration between R&D advanced development, 
engineering advanced machinery development, and then design advanced development with technology all coming together over a multi-year process to create visual products like really there's nothing out there before. It, a lot of people think, like, oh, great, yeah, I'll just throw a little print on that golf ball. Yeah, but what's, what's holding that golf ball? What's spinning that golf ball? What's printing on that golf ball? Those are all fixtures and capabilities and machines that, that haven't existed before. So we have engineers scouring the world, working on with, with partners and developing from scratch the coding, the technology, the, the print capabilities, the inks. I mean, we have to use special inks to adhere to urethanes. We have to cure it certain ways. Um, so we need special UV cures. And I'm, I'm throwing a lot of technical words out there, but basically, TaylorMade has um, a, a couple of core missions. And one is to produce the best performing product in the world. So it's not we're not going to throw anything out there that isn't confident to be on PGA Tour players or being a, a, a regular golfer's bag. Um, it needs to be durable. It needs to fly. Um, and it needs to be is the best performing product out there, noticeably and visibly different. Um, our other really mission is to create this concept of um, form and function. So obviously the golf balls perform incredibly well and the alignment technology forms incredibly well, but also having it look great um, is this endless kind of uh, journey that the teams are on to create products like Stripe and seeing it resonate so well in the market, knowing that it's a great product and um, is really cool because now the future is, is open. It, it creates a whole new path of, of where we can go um, when typically we've been in a box. Um, I'm not sure if they use this saying uh, in Europe, but we used to say here, all golf balls are white round and sit on the ground. Um, and we're getting to the point where over 50% of tailor-made golf ball sales, we're one of the largest golf ball manufacturers in the world. Over 50% of our sales are in non-white product. We are personally changing the way golf looks, um, which is honestly is as cool a thing as I can imagine. When the team looks at, you go out to a golf course and you see color and you see picks and you see stripe and you see all these different logo capabilities out there from golfers and think, hey, we influence the market to make this change it is a cool moment that we take super seriously. Um, and it's, it, it's an awesome kind of legacy for the golf ball group to realize 10 years from now, who knows what golf ball is going to look like, but I can guarantee they're not all going to be white. So we've got a new phrase, got visual technology. Oh no, he's going to add that to supercomputer and downrange dispersion. It's good first team chat, that, isn't it? Visual technology, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Can't, you can't believe the, uh, numbers of golf balls can you no it's like absolute crack isn't it and that's just one type of one golf ball yeah why are you making it websites and magazines why don't we just start making golf balls i mean i think it's that easy <laughs> i mean that is a phenomenal amount of story imagine being smart enough to think i'm going to start making some of the people who think definitely gonna yeah. <laughs> yes amazing i think what a lot of people won't realise that it was interesting when he talked about some of the rules there that you have to submit every different golf ball every time it's a different colour or has a pattern. You have to resubmit that to the RNA as a different type of golf ball because the ink or the colouring could change the performance. Yeah. And like some brands he's saying if they're not really that bothered about if the golf ball's identical, you can get almost like 10 yards of difference between a white and a yellow golf ball of the yeah, same product just, just because adding the yellow is completely changing the chemical composition so it's changing how the ball flies well, well, yeah that's crackers you do such stuff 
He literally just said it. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It is, yeah. So I guess um, if you put in paint on, is that affecting dimple depth as well? Well, that's the thing why they're using ink and trying to avoid that. But that shouldn't affect it with, like, say, a yellow golf ball because they're changing the colour of the urethane. Oh, um, so it's not paint, it's just different coloured urethane. Yeah. Got you. Amazing, isn't it? Incredible. So that dimple thing is a thing, isn't it? Like, here, does anyone understand dimples? I don't understand it. Not really, no. Dimple depth is the thing that changes stuff, isn't it? Or numbers of dimples. Numbers of dimples, dimple depth, and how many you have. That's the same as number. And also, oh yeah, <laughs> and also making sure they're symmetrical. Right, what about the shape of the dimple? Is there not some like hexagonal and some of yes. that size of thing as well? Yeah. And all this stuff affects what? The ball fly. It's right. literally the biggest thing about the aerodynamics. How much shorter does a golf ball fly that has no dimples compared to one with dimples? In percentage terms, for sure. Yeah. Well, I just think 40%. Uh, or it's just not going to spin, so yeah, no spin, so it's not going to hang in the air for any time at all, is it? There's actually no lift. No lift, no. Uh, 20, uh, 80%. 50%. Right, so have you got this chap talking about um, dimples? Of course I have. I think I'm going to get quite into dimples now. You've touched a lot of, on aerodynamics there. I think, say when a new golf ball comes out, you quite often get press releases and they'll talk about like, the amount of dimples, but that doesn't really mean much to the average golfer. So how much can you change in the ball fly with dimple patterns? Say like if you had say lots more or lots less, or like change the size of them. Dimple patterns are, are arguably the, the the most complicated and, and complex thing that, that we do in a uh, in golf ball uh, development. Um, it takes, it's the reason we don't change it every year. It's the reason we don't change it every two years. That's the reason most companies don't change a dimple every five, 10, 15 years. We have companies that are still using that same dimple pattern. Um, it, it requires people with really um, doctorates in aerodynamics um, to be able to track and use type of equipment to develop that um, type of pattern because it has such an impact on every part of the golf ball flight. Um, you think about a driver and the aerodynamics for a driver, it, it's it's either a stationary object when it hits the golf ball or it has a single plane that's moving through. And there's a lot of complications in, in matching the aerodynamics of that swing. A golf ball is is rotating at thousands of RPMs through through three different components of flights. And being able to manage airflow, uh, lift, and drag throughout that entire component um, honestly takes, uh, we have supercomputers, all of our companies do, um, to put it in perspective, when we design a dimple pattern in uh, our CAD software, our Dynamics CAD software, when they put uh, an assumed uh, spec in and they hit go, it takes almost a week to get the results back on how that product might might perform. And this is on a, you know, a NASA grade supercomputer because there's so many complications of what happens with lift, drag, and aerodynamics through a moving rotating object that it takes that long to really measure out everything. Put in perspective, that process used to take over a month. So when we have some of our R&D engineers that talked about 15, 20 years ago, imagine hitting set, enter on a computer and coming back a month later to find your results. Um, and it's, it's truly incredible. Um, it, it's why it takes so much work and so much planning and so much impact. When you get one that's right, it's not something you want to mess with because there's such an impact on what happens. Because just like you said, you make the dimples too deep, 
And what happens is just think of anything else. If you have a really deep dimple, the airflow is going to go into the dimple and it's going to get stuck in there. And now you have a very draggy golf ball, which means it's slow. Make dimples too shallow. What happens is the air passes through it. So the aerodynamics are great, but not enough air is caught in the dimple and you don't have enough lift. So the golf ball might not get off the air. Um, so it's this nonstop balance. Again, um, before we launch a dimple pattern, we go through hundreds of variations in simulation and we go through hundreds of variations in prototype testing for these exact reasons. Um, it has a, a, a massive effect on all parts of the ball flight with all your different clubs, heck, including putting. You make a dimple deeper or uh, thinner, I mean, you're gonna have an audible impact coming off of it. Um, it really is a, is a major impact to the golf ball. From the consumer perspective, anyone that's listening to this, uh, you can just trust. Uh, we've made uh, with our Tour Flight Dimple Pattern that's on a TP5, TP5X, and Tour Response Golf Balls the most aerodynamic dimple pattern we've, we've tested, uh, period. And it's an incredible dimple pattern. Um, it's taken, uh, been working on it for almost five years, uh, two years before we launched it. So, I mean, it's been thoroughly vetted. Um, it's now won multiple times on the PGA Tour, it's a major winner on, on multiple tours. And it's been an incredible um, performance launched on their TP5 and 5X in 2021 and then tour response in 2022. Um, but we're, we're already now developing the next one and figuring out how we can use dimple patterns to adjust performance. But it takes years and years and potentially decades to, to really launch a new dimple pattern um, because it has such an impact on how the product performs. And there's quite a few big things in there, isn't there? That speed of manufacturing process is obviously a massive thing for them because you can get out, but it's basically 75% quicker now. Test all balls, which is a pretty huge thing. And, and that point he was sort of making there, which I think he, his point was that the consumers would need to worry about it. You sort of trust that it's getting better uh, and the dimples are optimised as much as they can be currently. But the best type of technology is stuff that you, you just take for granted, right? Yeah. It works every time. Yeah. Um, and that is, but you never hear anyone saying, I don't have the dimples. <laughs> you think people are thinking that deeply into the golf balls? I hope so. They're just thinking, why is my golf ball sailing into the trees again? Yeah, they're never blame the dimples today. You think there is a dimple pattern that goes straight in the flight? That is a great question, isn't it? Well, it depends how you hit it and where the balls are entered. If you hit a, well, ma if you hit a massive slice, you could change the dimples on one side on the tee. If, yeah. But so, it is illegal. Right. Fair enough. Is it? Yeah. But I'm saying if you knew you fly. And you could tee the ball up in a certain way, so that would sort of guide again. The ball that. has to fly the same in every direction. See, I wonder when uh, bifurcation occurs, which it surely will. Surely. Did I say it wrong again? No, not the perfect. Bifurcation. Not, well, you, said it, you, you said it two different ways now, so I'm not sure. Bifurcation is correct. Okay. When bifurcation occurs, which it surely will, maybe that is the sort of thing that they'll be able to do for amateurs where it doesn't matter. But then what would be the point? Because as soon as you're off the tee and the ball's on the floor, you're just gambling which direction the no. ball's going to spin. You could play preferred lies all the time. Yeah, maybe just what we rule every time in clarification of the rules as well. Make the game easier. Nobody wants to in talk, are they? Yeah. Some Sorry, you had five birds and an eagle yesterday. What are you on about? <laughs> so the, what there, are, what there, there aren't at the moment specific dimple patterns for ability to play it, but there are different compressions for people with different swing speeds. Correct, but I think people get really confused about this. They don't get it. I don't get right, it. Which I'm taking to mean in my notes, I got confused about it. Is that what you're implying? I think I've stopped reading I by this point in your notes, to be honest. Compression is like a thing of the past. Well, I know, I think it's about swing weights. 
would all move down because they used to like old balls had the like yes compression on them you chose and you played 90 or 100s didn't you yeah did you yeah but when, when were you born like last march when, <laughs> how come he knows and you don't because I was paying more attention to the golf ball than I was. Yeah, that's big. You used to have, I don't think you do now, obviously you nodded. And no, I am um, old all the time. I, if we really want to get into the story, yeah. when I uh, was a junior and I used to scrabble around in the trees looking for balls, my practice ball bag, you would occasionally scoop some out that had 100 or 90 or... So the reason is it's more working class than you. Yeah, exactly. 90 or under compression, yeah. I think they were in like, there was a bar thing. But anyway, the lower the number of compression, the easier it is to compress. Is that right? Yeah. And what effect does that have on the ball? So it's softer. A lot of them feel softer. Then people got this weird thing where they thought soft meant fast, which is definitely not the case. So, so no, if you have a sl- if you have a slower clubhead speed and you're playing a really firm golf ball, you're not going to be able to compress it enough. So it's not going to go maximum distance for you. Let's begin at the beginning. So you want to compress the golf ball because it literally means make it smaller as much as possible. Yeah. So, so you want to go through the air faster because it's smaller. Yeah. Essentially, you want the golf ball to be getting squashed against the club face. So yeah. Then it's firing off quicker. Yeah. Exactly. If it's really firm and you're not moving the club quick enough, it won't do that. So it's not because it's smaller. It's because it's moving. Yeah. Trampoline and nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. As opposed to that sound effect. <laughs> so if you are a slow swinging golfer, if you're a slower swinging golfer, you want to use a lower number golf ball. Impression. Correct. Right. So what okay, so if you are a slower swinging golfer and you want a lower compression so it's easier to compress, why is it not like a linear thing where just it's easy to compress? So even fast swinging players should use a low compression golf ball. Because then they're going to hit even further. Why would you ever choose a higher, higher compression? Surely all the spin and like launch and stuff is not going to be right. So you just become suboptimal. Yeah. Right. So there's an optimal number of compression that you basically get a golf ball that fits your swing speed that achieves that optimal number of compression. Correct. So the Taurus response is 70 compression. Right. Compared to the TP5X, which is up at 97. So I'm saying that golf balls have got lower compression then over the years because it definitely used to be 90s and 100s. I think 90 and 100s is still like what you'd see as a taller golf ball. Yeah. And then there's just a lot more other options available. Obviously not everyone swings it at tall speed. But oh, you would think that also probably ties into equipment where we can now launch it high with less spin and therefore lower compression is going to help. Well, you've just made that up. More players. I'm just trying to work it out logically in my head why it might be the golf balls are now low compression as standard. I think it's just before everything was designed with the best players in mind, wasn't it? So we're now going to have this explained to us probably. Yeah. Rather than us just making it up. Mm-hmm. The tour response is 70 compression. Can you explain what that means and which like different levels of compression would suit different types of golfers? Yeah, so compression is the easiest way to think about it is when you hear compression, think feel. Um, the higher the number, so closer to 100, the, the firmer it's going to sound or feel, and the lower the number and the softer it's going to feel. Um, soft response and tour response are, are lower compression products, and TP5 and 5X are, I don't want to say firmer, because when it comes to the tour balls, they actually are some of the softest uh, tour caliber products that you see. But Tor response is truly designed to have the technology of TP5. So our TP5 
the urethane cover or TP5 dimple pattern or TP5 mantle layers um, or TP5 paint systems, um, everything that goes in the TP5, but with a softer feel. And that's really what it is. Um, there's a lot of golfers out there looking for a softer feel because they feel like that's what's going to suit their game the best. And that's really what Tour Response is about. It's as close as we can get to a TP5 product. We take a couple layers out of it, but put it at that lower compression to allow golfers to get the performance that they're looking for. So when you hear compression, just think sound, just think feel, and you're trying to get a lower number if that's what you're looking for. The thing with sound and feel is it's truly subjective. Um, the performance characteristics to feel are less performance and more preference. Um, I'm not going to tell anyone out there that if you think a softer golf ball works better for you, uh, you're wrong. However, the, the, the thought that if I have a slower swing speed and I can compress it more, that it's going to go further, it, it's just not how golf balls work. Um, typically, if anyone remembers you know, the rock flights of the day or harder, you know, 100 plus compression golf balls that went really far. It's because the, the, the interaction with the club face and the golf ball is a harder golf ball is going to make that face flex more. And that's what's going to give you the extra energy. What happens is if you have a softer golf ball and it doesn't make the golf club face flex and it over compresses, what happens is this is all energy loss. It doesn't come out faster than before. So what you're looking for is actually something that's going to create this uh do you have pogo sticks out in europe i assume that's yeah. not like a i mean i don't think anyone uses them anymore but we, we talk about the, the pogo stick which is the golf ball and the trampoline which is the club face we've talked about the pogo stick on the trampoline effect and you want both of these things generating energy um, without losing too much energy uh, to create more speed after the fact and lower compression products don't necessarily do that um, so to response at 70 compression and with a really firm mantle layer, it was designed with that firm mantle, but an overall soft golf ball to create that pogo stick trampoline effect to maximize distance and speed. Um, it's gotten written up as one of the longest golf balls out there, and it truly is for that compression. So getting a product that with a cashier thing cover, with speed that that um, on a ball that's that soft is, is really a unique combination um, that we've had a ton of success with out there. It, 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 and then you take it a step further at the value. It's a cashier thing cover um, at sub 50 quid or, or whatever you're selling it for is is truly a, a deal unlike anything else out there. Oh, so totally wrong, basically. That explains why your theory of just everyone using soft compression is bad. Yeah, I, I found that quite helpful, actually. I did as well. That was genuinely helpful. So you won't remember things like monitors either, will you? Monitors, yeah. No. So when he's talking about a golf ball, it's like we he talks to them about as describes them as rocks, which we also do. So they're hundred plus compression balls. And the kind of brand that came synonymous with it was a ball called a monitor, because they're like just like just like rock hard. Then they go miles. But you suspect that if you use one of them on a modern driver, which has got a very thin face, more trampoline effect, because of the facts of the matter rather than nonsense, it'd go absolutely miles, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, that, that is just like, that's news to me. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was how it was working. The, the harder the thing that's hit, the thin face is creating more trampoline effect. I just thought that was obvious. But what is what also, obviously, more obviously, what he's also right about is the field aspect of it. Because there have been some golf balls, like I can think of two brands, which I won't name, where I've used one golf ball for a long time because I was getting free. 
and they, I thought they were brilliant performance around the greens and felt really nice to use, but you always felt like you were losing distance with them. I think possibly because they were too soft compression. And there's been a really popular golf ball on the market recently, which has taken lots of market share of people, but I've always found it far too clicky to chip and pitch with. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I'll be choosing, that's how I think that's how most golf balls would choose their golf ball, because we're not going for... Not many people go for ball fitness, probably more should do. So how are you going to judge your golf ball? I don't think that a golfer is often going to get on a golf course and blame the golf ball for the thing not going far enough. They look at the person thinging around, yeah. Yeah. not the golf ball. So the thing that they're looking for the golf ball to do is feel nice. Yeah. So that is that is an interesting thing, which they will, they're obviously trying to sell more golf balls. So they want the feels massively important for the minute. Yeah, which is why it's interesting because this is like their non-tar ball, but it's still got a urethane cover, and that's quite rare. Like most brands, once you move out of like that tar bracket, will start using like a serling or a serling mix. Whereas it was really important to them that the cover was urethane for like that reason. The feel thing. Yeah, I think Taylor was the first people to do that because they had a similar sort of thing many years ago when I worked at Woodley was their big thing that year was a urethane cover on a not tall ball and it was really good because it felt amazing like you say it feels amazing around the greens but you're getting them probably a better distance yeah the slower swing speeds of the two yeah so we're going to get into the cover so you touched on it there Hannah so what are the different types of cover there so urethane is the most commonly used on tour yeah that's basically in any tour premium golf ball right and what else have you got then people generally move into certain or do like a mix of the two right okay and the reason for that is manufacturing costs bring the cost down yes and the people who are high handicaps are not necessarily getting benefits from urethane or not asking for it as much i think especially on short game like one it's the feel thing but also the way it interacts with grooves to allow you to create spin yeah if if you're a higher handicap and you don't have the technique to like impart the right loft with the grooves yeah. to create spin anyway like what's the point mm-hmm. so you might as well just have a cheaper cover um because you're not generating that spin anyway you're losing more that'll be more hard work yeah yeah so they'll last longer that is a big part of it too you can bounce them off trees and they don't get scratched he talks us through the, um, this idea of putting on urethane cover into the on tour ball now, doesn't he? Yes. Lots of other brands wouldn't necessarily use urethane in a ball that's not maybe their tour ball. Why did you decide to do that and like, what are the advantages of it? The, the reason we decided to use urethane on tour spots is because it makes the product better, um, just flat out. And that's, that's not for debate. Um, I, I used to say that and I apologize. I don't want to I get sometime a little ranty on this one because I just don't get it. Um, and what I mean by that is all the companies out there that make a tour caliber golf ball. So that means a golf ball that's used on PGA, LPGA, European tour, any of the tours worldwide use your thing. Any professional golfer, if you're making money playing golf, you're using a urethane cover. Everyone out there, any good player, every golf club, golf ball manufacturers telling you that urethane makes a better golf ball. You can get into the argument of cash urethane or TPU, you know, which is a different type of urethane and processes. But for the most part, this this isn't up for debate. Urethane makes a better performing product. Um, the reason for that is it's a softer, more durable material, which I know is counterintuitive, and we can talk about that if you like, but, but it spins around the green way more. So 
you're talking about 30 to 40 percent more so with a wedge from 75 yards a good player is spinning in around 8,000 rpms with a urethane ball they'd be spinning it closer to 5,000 rpms with an ionomer golf ball which is everything else tour response is the lowest price cash urethane golf ball you can find in the market and we did it because it, it makes a better performing golf ball just and that's that's unarguable um that's a word you can't you can't deny that performance is coming out of it and everyone agrees with it there's some other competitors out there at similar prices that don't use urethane and i used to throw out challenges saying like i'd love to hear why they think you should buy that product instead of ours because they're telling you that urethane makes a better golf ball it's why it's on their tour performing products um so if we're using that material at the same price as theirs why on why would you not buy our golf ball and that's really what's what's so special about it is when you see cash urethane cover you get significantly way more spin around the green um that's going to equate to the golf ball stopping a lot sooner it's going to uh, equate to holding the green a lot better um from 30 yards to 100 yards um and it's going to feel and actually be a little bit more durable as well so cash urethane is a better performing material um and putting on tour response yeah is it a little bit more expensive yeah but if it creates a better performing product that, that that's really our primary focus so i think that's all really interesting stuff but we need to get back into this but the, the, the i guess the big thing here is this visual technology piece isn't it and different color golf balls and um, and that's the big advancement for this year so what we're really saying is that i think lines you need to draw yourself yeah or uh, customization it used to be uh, a special order is now becoming kind of off the shelf what on earth are sharpies going to do it's a good point actually I hadn't thought about that. Right. Everyone's having a winner now, it's three isn't it? Yeah, those little green things you clip around your ball. Yeah, I don't know what they're called. I, don't I mean, they're just things that they're gone, aren't they? Definitely. Amazing. Um, so the, one of the big things that we use Sharpies for is for alignment and putting. That's obviously the big part of this new tour response book. Um, so what... Why, why has that become a thing? Like I said, why are we all now using lines on golf balls? We didn't used to do that. So Taylor did loads of testing. From 12 feet, what percentage of people can aim at the hole? 12 feet. 12 feet? Yeah. 10? <laughs> do you know the answer? No. Uh, 15? Correct. 85% of people don't aim at the hole from 12 feet. That's right. Where are they? Anywhere. Elsewhere. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's really interesting because when they tested this, they did it on a round putting green in a massive room. So there was like no edges for you to like line up to, which is obviously what it's like when you're out on the golf course because yeah. you're outdoors and the greens are generally circular. Yeah. Whereas generally people perhaps they're putting on like a square putting green. So you have a reference edge to line up to. So actually like practicing in a scenario like that is a lot more helpful for you. When I infrequently have a putting lesson, I always get told maybe too far right. And mm -hmm. um, and then I'm straighter, and but I don't necessarily like hold more putts because I just pull them offline. Then, whereas when I was in right, I was pulling them back to my intended start line. But it depends what you it. That's the problem with him, and he he touches on that a lot of it is what you do from aim to impact and how you return the putt. It's a good debate that. So did anybody actually? But I think with. Well, I'm saying, with better yeah. players, you will do the same thing consistently. It's when you get to higher handicaps and they'll just aim everywhere and then do a different thing every time. 
But I guess over time, if you're constantly aiming the right place, your strokes can improve because it's going to marry up with read better and all the rest of it. Yeah, or even if you know every time I'm going to aim an inch further right than I should do. Okay. But I'm consistent. Does he get into this? Yes. Okay. So obviously the big thing with the Taurus one stripe is the stripe bit, and it's all about that, the yeah. easy alignment. How bad are people actually at lining up to putts? Because I presume you've done <laughs> a lot of research around this before you brought this golf ball out. Yeah. Um, so from 12 feet, it was something like 85% of the people are not aimed at the hole, um, which is pretty good. And uh, Stripe has shown uh, a measurably improvement um, in having people line at the hole more accurately, but also more frequently, more accurately. So um, the test that the group ran was actually really incredible because um, we want to make sure it's accurate, but we had, I think almost, we had dozens of golfers coming through and they built a huge circle in our warehouse um, because you don't want, um, and there's nothing around for probably 50 or hundred feet because you don't want someone to go up and find a spot on the back wall that they can then, oh, like I'll just mark it towards that. You really want to see how they're lining up just the ball to the hole. So we have uh, 10 golf balls in a circle with different type of alignment systems on them. So they go up and they got to try to align each one. And then you have someone come in with a laser and you check each position and then you measure the deltas and you measure the frequency. So for us, we measured no lines and we measured just the golf ball seam stamp and we measured single lines of people drawing it. We measured some of our competitors as well. And the, the what I love with not just the performance feedback we've seen, but also the anecdotal comments, it's point and click. It's you just kind of jimmy the little thing. It just kind of locks in. You just see it um, because this wide alignment line that travels throughout the entire component of the golf ball and the line that draws the hole. Um, like I said, we we saw an improvement with almost every single golf we work with. Um, for us to say something like easier to align, that's to be something that ninety five percent of the people that we test see that performance benefit, and that's what we saw. Um, not just easier to align, but also um, frequently aligned closer to the hole or more at the hole more frequently than um, without the stripe system. So yeah, people definitely are not aimed at the hole um, from 12 feet. Um, and with stripe, it's definitely gonna help them improve their alignment and their putting. So you said that like 85% were not aiming at the hole before. Yeah. What does that get to like if they are using stripe? Yeah, so it, it depends on the golfer. What we were saying is you, you're talking about um, it's not a percentage of what's aimed at the hole. For us, is it's getting because it's not just aiming at the hole. Some people do like aiming an inch off. Um, there's famous golfers out there that will aim at certain ages and then pull it back on, or they'll aim something at the golf ball because they typically use a closed putter face. So it's not just saying, hey, you want every ball aimed at the dead center because not everyone has a perfect uh, out to in or um, back and through putting stroke. They've developed tendencies that have also affected their alignment. So uh, I'm not not answering the question, but what we're, <laughs> we're trying to say is um, they're going to get closer. So what we saw is the improvement on where you were potentially three to five inches off the hole or two to three inches off the hole, getting you closer to one to two inches off the hole, where you were ideally trying to align it based on what you were. And you're aligned more frequently, which means you're closer to the hole more frequently. 
um, is really what we're doing. We're taking out the major variations of there's no one that wants to be five, six, seven inches off the hole from 12 feet. And being able to get people closer to the hole more frequently. So that means if you align a golf ball 10 times, you're going to be closer aligned to the hole on almost every single one of those um, is the improvements that we're talking about. So it is something you're going to see every time you line it up, but it's not a, you're now aimed at the hole versus not aimed at the hole, but it is something that um, almost every time you, you line it versus a non-stripe product, you're going to be closer to the hole and you're going to be closer to the hole more frequently on your intended line. So that is an interesting thing, right? Because we publish books with a psychologist called Carl Morris, lost a lot of um, And one of the things that he's an advocate of is having no line on your ball at all because he thinks that it's too specific a thing. As in, in the olden days of Sharpies, appreciate sure Taurus Mons is a big fat yellow line. In the olden days of Sharpies, that line was very thin. Yeah. So it means you then enter a very precise stroke and tension is the biggest killer in play. So he's an advocate of having no line on the ball at all, which therefore frees your stroke up. Yeah. I think for like a novice player who's not particularly good at putting, the line's really helpful because it gets them pointing generally in the right direction. I think it becomes really tricky with better players who, like you say, you might have had a, a pull putting stroke for 30 years. So if you just randomly started aiming correctly, you'd never hold any putts and you'd like get very straight and missing the left side. So you have to decide if you're going to aim straight, are you actually going to then hit yeah. it straight? Where, yeah, like you say, the Carl Morris stuff is very holds three balls wide, so doesn't it? it has to go down a three ball channel, not a very thin black strip. I put so much better when I am straight. Well, I was actually going to use you as an example because I my bad thing is I am left. Your bad thing is you leave the ball short all the time because you're so freaking tight and obsessed. About I've been the ball. working on that. Right. I put it good at Hillside, box two 20 footers in the first two holes for birdies. Thank you very much. And then all I did at the weekend was practice my aim. The, um, but that is an interesting thing. So when you get old, I mean, you've got a lot of mental baggage. Yeah. So some of it is you're trying to undo some of this stuff, right? Yeah. So your point about beginning golfers point in the right place is a good thing. Yes. Um, when I was doing this stuff, I had some sessions with Carl Morris as well, and obviously read the books. And at the start, having no line, I really liked it because it was free. And then when I actually started playing competitively, you know, which handles a lot, you then sort of start panicking when you particularly when you over short puts that so you're not yeah. in the right place. Yeah. So I did two things. One, I drew my own fat line. So I thought if I had a fat line, maybe that's <laughs> better than a thin line. That's exactly what this ball's done. Uh, that's better than a thin line. Uh, and then I, I'll, I still do now interchange that if I'm I've got a longer putt, I just try and get a feel for the general yeah. slope of the read. And if it's a short putt, I want to be more precise. I don't use a line on long putts. Yeah, I, I think a good practice I recommend a lot of times is outside of 10 feet, don't bother. Just try and get a good pace yeah. because the, you make percentages so small anyway. But when you're inside 10 feet, you've actually got a chance of knocking it in. So the line becomes a lot more important. Well, that is a very much a lost art point thing where pace trumps line every time. Yeah. You're, you're laughing at me, but I think the sort of fatness of that line is really helpful. And I think the other thing that, uh, that comes out of those books is the visual idea of like a, a line of paint on the ground, going yeah. from your ball to the hole that's the width of the hole. 
And that yellow line on the yeah. top response board, I think, helps with that sort of yellow line going on. I think it's like. good how they have like the thinner center line, then they have the block of color, and then there's like the borders around the edge. Yeah. So they're all doing different things. Like one's framing the edge of the golf ball, one's like giving you that thicker line, but then one you've still got that precise line in the middle if you want it. Yeah. So then this speeds into this whole personalization story, right? Mm -hmm. So we've chatted a lot about that perhaps the future of driver technology or hardware technology is in increased personalization. So the moving of the, we don't say sweet spot anymore. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The moving of the sweet spot that will be into a fixed position based on your personal shot pattern, strike pattern. Uh, and it feels like golf balls are sort of moving in the same direction. Because I don't agree with you. I don't want that thin line in the middle. It's too, it's too cluttered and I'd, I just want the big fat line. Oh. I can put without a thin line. That is interesting, isn't it? So it feels like that there is a sort of a journey that we're going to go on into increased golf ball personalization, which I think we touch on now. Do you think it'll ever get to the point where you could like customize your ball and pick which colors you want where? I do think it'll get to the point where you can customize your ball and pick which colors you have. Um, it requires a um, personalization, customization is a major movement in the world, not just in golf, but everywhere. Um, and we are heavily invested in, in time and efforts in capitalizing on that. And when we say leader in visual technology and visual products, we don't just mean Stripe, we mean personalization and customization as well. And building out these technologies to be nimble enough to do exactly what you're talking about, allow you to design your own golf ball. And for us, that's where we think the, the future of golf can potentially go is why this is where the market wants to be. And this is already where we're moving. You know, why wouldn't we continue to, to develop towards that right now? Our, our challenge is, is, is meeting the millions of dozens worth of demands of this product. So we're playing a little bit of catch up, but catch up in the best way possible. But um, there's definitely a, a goal out there to, to in, continue to improve customization, personalization from TaylorMade. And we want to be that leader and, and specifically that continue to grow that space. For the moment, um, we are, there's not that 100% um, personalization. What we've got is more choice than we had previously, particularly on the colour. Um, so why, why, why yellow the option instead of white? How comes that? I don't know if you understood that. Because it is the only colour that your eyes see clearer than white. Right. That's interesting. Which I don't think I agree with either. Like, when you're playing golf, like it just looks like it's part of a green shit. Well, yeah. I think there's dandelions. I, I, yeah, I still agree with the yellow ball as well, to be fair. I think it's, um, but I don't know whether that's just years of searching for white balls. You've sort of almost trained your eye to see that and you almost don't see the dandelions because they're not, they're not very helpful. Who's that American journalist whose catchphrase is not a normal sport? He always puts it on Twitter. Oh. Kyle something. Yeah, that's it. In kind of, I can't think of a certain either. Um, just sort of yellow golf ball thing. It's just, it's the rest of the world are thinking, what are these people really? Oh, I need to get Dan. <laughs> I need to get Dan in for a minute to defend it. Yeah, I'm use a normal colored golf ball. <laughs> With the last Same. stop of the sporting world. Tennis ball, yellow. Yeah, but you know, the sudden go, oh, I know what we'll do this week. Why don't we have a white stripe around it for a while? It's just a tennis ball. Yeah, it? A bit different. 
So why am I so is, is there any proof, proof in tennis that if you have a land, you ball, you're more likely to hit it to the other side of the court? No, no. Possibly. Tennis fine in it once you've served. Why is serving so hard? It's a good point. Uh, so, so there is actually a reason. That's the reason the golf balls are if they're not white, they're yellow. Yeah. So that's that is interesting. So why are all the other colours now then? Yeah. People just like a bit of variety, don't they? they were, these golf balls were so popular that people just asked for more colours. That it was nearly navy in the first place. So right. And then they tested it with loads of people because they literally got hundreds of people to test it before the release, and they were like, we wanted to be more high visibility, so they switched to the yeah. yellow option. I think that guy, that's a bit of me there. <laughs> it was a more woke colour, the, the sort of like off grey or something. Might be into that with no branding on. Don't tell me the yellow one's not more bright. Yeah, it I think, is. I think you'd lose. I once played off with a red ball, and after about 100 yards, it went black in the air, and then you couldn't see it. So, I guess the other side of it is that we're sitting here discussing this from the better position of performance benefit, but a lot of people will be choosing the red one because they're a man youth man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, golf is changing, and there's a lot more sort of like since COVID, a lot more punters like, yeah. who don't yeah. who don't care as much about stuff like that. Like chubby football fan types. Exactly. Yeah. Not like that in there, was it? No. Well, no, it's quite types. good in the new ones that the blue and the red one have a white line in the middle rather than black. And I, I always find it weird when people put a black line on the golf box. You always have a white line on the top of your putter. So the two now will actually match up and be the same colour. I have a black line on top of my putter because I customised it. <laughs> when you break it's hard, it's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I think don't I'm normal. Customised it. I did. That's great. I customised it so it had a black line on the top so it matched the black line on my ball. I agree that's a bit OTT. But most putters have a white line on the top and then you draw a black line on your ball it makes no sense the contrast helps so these will actually match i think that they put some research into the line on the putter so then there's a legit reason for yellow uh which is interesting that that is used to me uh and he is now going to explain to us about how some of that's coming from consumer feedback some of it's come from the fact is just as easy to spot white yes now, obviously, the stripe has this, like, unique pattern to it because you've got kind of a mixture of, like, block colours then like, dot lines and then yeah. two solid lines. How yeah. did you end up with so many components and how like how long did it take to develop, like, that structure? Because it's quite, like, complicated uh, it, for a simple design. It took a very, very, very long time with lots of samples. Um, and, you know, we, we really started finalising designs uh, you know, through COVID, which which honestly didn't make it easier. <laughs> um, you know, the meetings that we had, which were typically outside, we'd meet you know at our, our our driving range facility with our executive teams. You know, using all the precautions that were required at the time, and but we'd have people in the factories that need to get permission to make literally hundreds of design concepts. Um, we tested colors because colors has impacts on visibility and contrast, single alignments. Order alignments, consistent lines, dash lines. Um, beyond that, borders, no borders, um, and how colors flow into a golf ball, gradient colors. I mean, it was, I, I literally just um, threw away no less than a, must be 300 golf balls that I still had left over from the development of this product, each with a unique cosmetic that we put through this. Because again, no one's made anything like this before. You don't really, it's really hard to just draw something on a piece of paper and say, that's going to look great. So we were lucky enough to, to bring in an incredible um, 
design qualification expert to not just design a lot of these files, but also um, print them and produce them. And then we'd bring them home and, and we'd test them. We'd go out and we'd putt with them and uh, and we'd narrow it down and we'd send them over to the advanced development group to make sure they work. And yeah, it really was quite the, the down selecting of processes. Again, there's, there's nothing to go on. It's not like, again, I'm not diminishing putters at all, but putting like the limonades that you see on putters, whether it's a dash or it's a dot or it's three dots or it's three lines. This stuff has been done for decades within golf. The technology that we're talking about is something that no one's done before. You don't know how something is going to look when you print it all the way around the golf ball. And printing on curved surfaces do a lot of things to your eyes where lines will start to travel as they curve down the golf ball. So it really has a, an impact with every single thing we do. Um, so in the end, it really became a combination of uh, thickness of lines and borders. Um, if we didn't put border lines out there, you'd kind of lose the colors on the outside, but you need that center line to make sure that you can see it really clearly um, on the front. And then that contrast color is what really allows you when it rolls to, to get the best benefit out of it. But I could tell you it was a, um, felt like an endless, um, an endless development process. And honestly, part of it is an endless. I can tell you we're always continuing to improve and, you know, Stripe will have probably in five years. It's not going to look very different because this one performs great and it's been well tested and it's been well validated in market. But yeah, it's like anything else. We'll continue to find ways to hopefully improve upon it. But right now, um, it's it works great. <laughs> so we're we're pretty proud of of what came to market. How did you pick what color you're going to use for the block? Yeah, so we started with what we wanted to be as high visible visibility of color we can do. So obviously yellow golf balls are easier to see. Um, there's a reason people use yellow products. Um, we've worked with uh, people in the field of sports vision before and our advanced teams have worked through vision reports, but basically yellow is the only color that your eyes perceive clearer than white. Um, and that's, that's the reason tennis balls are yellow. It's the reason softballs are yellow. It's the reason fire engine stripes have yellow in it. Um, that color is easier to see um, when things are moving fast or you want to be clear. And that's why those those colors are used. And obviously a lot of products have transitioned into that kind of high vis yellow color. Um, so we started there, but we're not using a paint. Stripes using an ink. So and inks are, are non-reflective. So for us, we need to find a way to get as close to that yellow as possible using non-reflective inks. So um, it really, that was the color we were very, very serious about from the beginning because it's easier to see and we wanted to create a product that not just was easier to align, but also had an easier to see benefit to it. Um, but I could tell you, we designed some colors that we brought to market in 2023 that were, just looked so nice that it, it almost trumped uh, the, the the lime, yellow, lime, green color that, that we come to market with. So for example, in 2023, we've launched the navy version and we've launched an orange version that, uh, and a red version that we got pretty far down path that we were gonna launch um, just and honestly, the navy one. The navy one just looks so rich and so great that we said, this is it. It just, it looks so premium. This is what everyone's gonna love. and at, we just got a couple pieces of feedback in the end being like, oh, do you have one that 
um, that's kind of like yellow because that's what the market was used to um, in these type of products. And we ended up actually changing our decision towards the end. So just give it everyone an insight of how this stuff happens. You know, we get probably within five, six months of production and you start showing a lot of people. Um, you know, obviously we develop and we have player panels and we have lots of survey groups that we work with. But until you start showing hundreds of people, um, you really don't start getting a lot of piece of feedback that you might not have seen, particularly on completely innovative products that haven't been in the market before. So getting things like, hey, when I sell this product, visibility and differentiation is a huge part of that. We know that, but until you start hearing it over and over again, um, it is, it will start impacting your decisions. So one of the things with TaylorMade is we're willing to be flexible. Our supply chains are very nimble. So making that shift from a navy to a, a lime yellow, lime green was, um, was able to do due to our supply chain and, and how we work to make sure we have a product that's going to resonate best in the marketplace. But um, it was exciting to be able to launch the Navy product this year. Um, I've gotten some pictures of the Navy golf ball already completely sold out, um, which is great, um, which probably means if we launched the Navy, it would have been fine also. But heck, it, it, it was a great year. And um, it's now awesome to have multiple colors out there in the marketplace that, um, that, that, can, that consumers can purchase. Okay, so that's cool. So we've covered uh, we've covered the alignment benefits. We've covered the reason for the color choices. We've talked a lot about dimples and colors. And um, this thing about not everyone's a nerd, and actually you might go to all this trouble of creating something that's easy to spot and easy to line up. And at the end of the day, someone's choosing something because they happen to support a team that wears that color. So there must be some other stuff that sort of speaks to that mentality, which frankly, let's face it, is most people's mentality. So what else can I get? Can I get a range go logo on our golf ball? Not sure about that. So the, the the stripe pattern is only on the tour response. So if you want to go into the TP5 or the TP5X, they have picks instead, which is more patterned. So what they're doing this year is each Just month. Picks is a tailor-made, effectively, trademark, P-I-X. Correct. And it means the alternate colour dimples. Uh, no. The alternate colour dimples. It's like, it's Trump just is. like a pattern of the golf ball. Okay, got you. But it kind of creates that stripe in the middle anyway, because the way the position is that when it rolls, you get the wide stripe around the middle. So yeah. it's almost like your fat line yeah. in between the printed images. And is there a performance benefit to fixed? Yeah, that's literally the point of it. It was designed with Ricky Fowler. It's all about how he sees the spin when he's like chipping and stuff and then how the shapes roll and create like a pattern as they're rolling. So you can see like that same stripe down the middle. Like uh, you won't remember this either. All my references. <laughs> <laughs> so you have like a pool in a pub. Yes. So we've been to a pub. We can't keep what we say. So we went to a pool place, didn't we? Yes. Yeah, so when you used to play pool in a pub, Instead yeah. of having reds and yellows, you had um, spots and stripes. Yeah. That's still a thing, is it not? It's a lot. What happened in Orlando? Oh, uh, yeah. So in American pool tables there as well, yeah. So on those, that really helps. We can get on the stripes ones. You can really see the spin. So I can get I'm on board with that, yeah. Oh, so, so this is okay with you now. I'll just, I'll bring Taylor in and tell them it's fine. They can yeah. continue with their picks on. I'm not trying. So I like to think about drawing and white the chips. Anyway, this year, they're bringing out a limited edition run each month that's different patterns on the golf ball. That's pretty good. So like relative to maybe what tournament is or what time of year it is. So they've already done like one Hawaii, Hawaiian one for the start of the season. 
and each one gets a really cool limited edition box. Did you see it going around on social media? Yeah. Like it was literally her Hawaiian shirt. He's, apparently it was a nightmare at manufacturing because just the lid had 18 different folds in it to build it. But the lids were like selling on, like just the boxes were selling online for like 25 quid. So they're going to bring it out one I don't know what time of year it is, basically. Yeah, one a month limited edition runs. You can get like cool different ones across the year. Um, I found it's pretty good. How much have you learned about golf balls today? A lot. Loads. Loads. But genuinely, like I, I think that I've had the wrong opinion about at least three or four things we've talked about today. Like dimples were strong. Compression, definitely. Yeah. Uh, the yellow and white thing. It's pretty crazy. That I was, I was just. Is it made out of? You? Has it got urethane on it? Yeah, all right, well, I'll give it a go then. Sorry. Um, I thought it was genuinely interesting. Yeah. When you something after the podcast about golf balls, I was like, right, what are we going to do for the rest of the hour? <laughs> uh, that was good. He was good as well. He, he was really interesting, yeah. You did like and subscribe bit? No, I always just crop you out and do that. Okay, see you next week. Have a nice one.